0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, We're in the, the book of Hebrews, but we have some preliminary things before we get there. You may not know, but around the world today, Christians like us are gathered together to pray for the persecuted church worldwide. In fact, the first Sunday in November of each year has been designated as the day to do what we're about to do, and that is to pray for fellow Christians around the world who, uh, specifically because of their identification with Christ, are experiencing various degrees of persecution. Uh, Just this morning, I read a letter written in the newspaper by a man named Vernon Brewer, who's CEO of a organization called World Help. It's a Christian humanitarian organization, and uh, he is calling in the letter, he's calling our attention to the plight of fellow believers around the world, indicating in point of fact that in places like Nigeria and Iran and North Korea, uh, merely being a Christian could result in the penalty of one's death. This is happening even as we are rather comfortably gathered together, in Jesus' name here today. Experts who study uh, persecution of believers are seeing that Christian persecution seems to be worse than ever and on the rise. In fact, according to an organization uh, named Open Doors, in their world watch list. They put a world watch list together. It came out in 2019, and they indicate that over 245 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution in the prior year, 2018. 245 million believers around the world. Some are denied jobs, some are Uh, disowned by families. Some are forced out of their communities. Others face imprisonment and, in some cases, very harsh physical abuse. Some are forced to literally run for their lives and at least 4,305 of our fellow Christians died last year merely because they publicly identified with Christ, 4,305, which equates to approximately 11 believers a day dying for their identification with Christ. So as we gather here today, 11 folks like us will be murdered. Yesterday, uh, almost 11 folks were murdered for their faith, and the same will take place tomorrow. And um, after studying this horrific phenomenon, British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt concluded that this is a near genocide. Only this genocide is attracting surprisingly little attention. The world community seems not to be disturbed by this at all. Now, despite the suffering, many of our Fellow believers are experiencing around the world, um, they're standing up for their faith and boldly proclaiming Christ in spite of the consequences. In fact, most are not afraid of death, they're ready to accept it, for to have Christ is far better even than life here. And so, what they're asking for, frankly, is not the alleviation of persecution as much as the fact that they might stand strong in the face of it and glorify Almighty God. So I want to invite you in the next few moments to pray silently here for our brothers and sisters around the world and even here in the United States. Now we surely do not face the level of persecution others do elsewhere, on the other hand, the anti-Christian spirit of the day really seems to be picking up steam. It's a day like none other, which most of us here who've grown up in America have ever experienced. And so you, you see the evil one, I, I think, really turning up the burner, perhaps knowing that his time is short. So as you pray for persecuted believers, that they might, even in the midst of persecution, sense the very real presence of Almighty God, would you pray for yourself, as I will for me, that uh, we would emulate their example, follow them as a model, and refuse to uh, deny Christ, even here as Americans, and even in spite of what the consequences may be. Now, ours is to speak the truth, but in love. So we don't have to go out of our way to be obnoxious. I'm not saying that. But we must be, as these other persecuted believers are, uncompromised in our faith convictions. We have no right to impose our beliefs on anyone else, but we have a responsibility not to waver in our own beliefs and convictions. So as you pray for those who are persecuted, that they might experience the presence of Christ in the midst thereof, would you pray for us that we would stand strong for the Lord Jesus Christ in this very unusual and challenging day that confronts us? Could you take the next few moments just to bow your heads and pray privately, and then I will close us. Our God in heaven, it's ironic that you who came to earth with nothing but good news have gotten from so many such a poor response. In fact, you're acquainted with grief, Lord Jesus, and have been the recipient of hatred yourself. In fact, those who bear your name and who are hated for it are not to take it personally. It's because of their identification with you. Therefore, we pray in the process of persecution which so many are experiencing, you would embolden, build up and bless those brothers and sisters who are really paying the ultimate price. I think they realize you're worth it, for to know you is worth more even than life itself, you being the one who's authored eternal life for believers. We pray, O God, as persecuted believers would want us to pray, that in the midst of it they would see you, sense you, be more aware of you than ever, and we pray as we know they would want us to then in the midst of persecution, somehow the gospel would go forth even more. That light would not be distinguished by darkness on the contrary, but that mistreatment of light bearers would somehow spread the light. That's happened historically, and so may it be in our day. And we pray, O God, that we might hear take our cue from those who cannot worship freely, safely, and publicly as we do. What a cherished privilege we have here, not to be squandered nor taken lightly. We pray, whether it be in school, the workplace, or in the neighborhood, when we are in some way abused, insulted, offended because of our identification with you, We pray we too would count ourselves blessed to share in some small measure in the sufferings with which you suffered. We pray, O God, to you for help in dealing with the greatest tragedy. It's not the death of a believer. It's the death of a non-believer who is then subject to eternal dying. So we pray that the gospel which you came to offer in your blood, we pray that the gospel would get a hearing today more widely, internationally than ever before, and with a great harvest of souls. Thank you, O God, for the tie that binds us together with persecuted believers worldwide. It's our identification with you. Thank you for the family of God, its eternal nature, and the fact that you... Consider it to be precious. So do we, Lord Jesus, and so our hearts go out to those believers who are experiencing things we know not of. We can pray for them, oh God. A sense of your presence and power and blessing like never before. May they run to Jesus as people are running after them. This we pray in your name, amen. Well, thank you for praying. If we're still here, Lord willing, and if he doesn't return, then one year from now, we'll pray again first Sunday, November, but we can be praying always. There are many organizations that can tell you and I what's really going on worldwide. Voice of the Martyrs is one. Uh, you can look it up online and see exactly what's going on outside of the confines of our rather comfortable Christian experience here in America. Well, now I want to tell you about something else. And I see Miss Maureen here, and I'm kind of sorry to see you (laughs) in a weird way because I want to talk about Brother Chuck, if that's okay. Um, He asked me to uh, inform you of the latest in the Schneider family because I'll tell you where he is this weekend. He's out ministering. That's what he's doing. Uh, combat marine outdoors, marines and soldiers, others who have lost an arm, a leg, or more, and who've lost a sense of personhood and being and living are taken by people like Brother Chuck out in the outdoors to hunt, feel alive again. And that's what he's doing right now. Now, I'll tell you why this is so um, striking to me. Uh, Brother Chuck has been challenged with certain uh, physical afflictions, some of which you know of. Do you know about his leg situation? It was an antibiotic of a, a questionable nature that affected his tendon in his leg. It's caused it to deteriorate, not be able to function. Perhaps that's You've seen him hobble a little bit here. They're sometimes wearing even a boot, kind of a soft boot, keep the swelling down. It's not working. Well, he finally got to see a specialist, and the specialist confirmed, yes, it's the antibiotic uh, that's actually caused this. It's irreversible, and the options, so said the specialist, are to live like this if you can endure the pain and the discomfort or surgery of a fairly involved kind, on the foot, and to remove and replace a whole tendon. Well, I, I think Brother Chuck is, and Maureen have decided to partake of the surgery. He's a young man. He hunts, he fishes, he's active. He feels like this is the only option. Well, then, his PSA levels were pretty high and saw... Uh, the specialist about that, an entirely unrelated problem, and did not get a good report. This just happened a few days ago. Um, so he has a, a very aggressive form of cancer. And uh, he says, Count it all joy. That's what he says. You know, we've given each other a hard time, he and I, for a lot of years. But there's nobody I trust more than Chuck Schneider. I'd follow that guy anywhere. He's the real deal. So, uh, so he has to have his prostate removed quickly, <clears throat> and they don't know. Here they go again. Uh, to questions and council and all the rest and my guess is i don't know i shouldn't speak for dear maureen i'll bet you this is harder than the experience she's had with her own her own cancer and four surgeries and all the rest so um i want us to pray for the schneiders for chuck and maureen and the girls and the sons-in-laws and the grandchildren and i want us to pray for our church family here Forgive me if I'm being overly dramatic, but some of us really believe we're really being attacked by the evil one. We really think it's a spiritual process that's taking place, not just with things like what I just reported to you, but um, our church is going through a transition time, and it is not fun for any of us. It's just difficult. Our beloved pastor is retiring and we're in transition. We don't <laughs> we have a great search team, wonderful teams here, but we're 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 in this 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 transition time. It's not fun at all. And during the time of it not being fun, it could bring out the worst in us. We can start getting irritable and snap at each other and we're much more prone to the gossip Rumor mill going around. I think this, I think that. Everyone has an opinion, and yet in most cases, it's really based on lack of information. Most of us don't know the process, or really, godly team members have gone through to bring us to this point. You don't know what the search team discusses, you don't know what the personnel team discusses, you don't know what the deacons discuss unless you're on those teams. And I invite you to think about being on those teams. I guarantee you, we are in good hands. Look, the staff is not so bad either. However, the lay people who man and woman the teams, we are in really, really good hands. You know, we have 12 people on the search team. We could have had any, we could have had two, 300 others who are qualified applicants for it, but you can't have two, 300. Uh, those 12 have to agree. They have to be unanimous on bringing a name before the church whenever they do. How are they going to agree on anything for crying out loud? Well, it would take the hand of God. That's, and that's, that's what they're in a position to wait for. So can I encourage you during this difficult time of, of possible satanic oppression, don't sin in your personal life. Sanctify your sake for the rest of the body's sake here. Don't give him a foothold in our church. And secondly... Watch what you say. Watch the rumor mill. I mean, no disrespect, but, but can I say this? In most cases, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't know. You don't sit on these teams. You're well represented by people just like you. There's nothing being done in secret except there's confidences that the teams have to keep. But you voted for them. Nobody pulled a power play here. That's some of the stuff going on. Power play. Who wants the power? <laughs> what staff member here show me wants anything but what but that which is given by Almighty God? Show me. Who's scheming? Who's manipulating? Please don't give in to that. That is not happening. That's just a that's just a lie. Be careful of what the evil one could do, because as our pastor, founding pastor, has so often said, he believes the best days for Sagemont Church are yet to come. I agree with him. Let's not get in the way there. for let let's be a more sanctified group and a more united group than ever before. When we hear about the challenges the Schneiders have and ones like them, doesn't it make you want to rally together <laughs> instead of tearing each other behind uh, uh, apart? Whatever you think of Chuck Schneider, I tell you, I work closely with him. Purity of motives. He wants nothing but what the church asks him to do. And what the church has asked him to do is really, really hard. If he wanted to take the easy way out, he could have. Because of his love for the Lord, because of his love for this church, he is serving as our interim senior pastor. I sit next to him, by him in meetings all through the week. He's the real deal. I didn't say without flaws. That's all of us. Purity of motive. And... uh What's God doing in the lives of the Schneiders? I don't know. Maybe he's using them to smack us around and get our attention, stop being so petty when we think about what loved ones like they are going through. This is not the time to bite at each other. This is the time to rally behind one another. I told my dear brother Chuck on the phone the other day, when he said, I asked him how he's doing, counted all joy, he said, um, I said, you know, your life and Maureen's, that's the one of the best sermons I've ever heard, just your lives. They believe in the Lord Jesus. They're drawing closer together. They've always been close, but they're even closer than ever as husband and wife. They're not letting the evil one divide them, and they're drawing closer individually to their heavenly husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maureen, I don't want to put pressure on you, but we're watching your life and Chuck's. Um, We're learning. (laughs) We're seeing that God can be trusted even when these inexplicable things, it seems like one after another happen. And uh, we're praying from you and we're learning from you. These pains are not wasted. Could I ask you to pray... Still yet, one more time, would you bow your heads? Pray for the Schneider family specifically, Chuck, Maureen. And then would you pray for our body here, our local body, a great church. We take care of one another here. Let's continue to do so. So please pray. here we are Lord Jesus bothering you again except it's not a bother to you is it in fact you invite us to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace to help in time of need where needy we petition you for your grace grace mercy healing for Chuck for Maureen and, oh, God, we know none of this has taken you by surprise. We know you use all things for the good to those who love you, and, oh, how they love you. Therefore, please use these recent developments in particular for the good, not only of Chuck and Maureen, but in an extended way. Please enlarge their ministry and sphere of influence through all this. What do we pray? Well, we pray for total and complete healing, because you're the great physician. That's what we pray for. And my, how we would rejoice if that would be your will. We thank you for this church, oh God. We've stuck together through thick and thin. In fact, in some ways, we're distinct from many other churches. We stay together. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we really weep with those who weep. That's a good thing. We're not just an organization. It's a little more like a family. Family members can squabble and fight, but family members stay together. Family members have high regard for one another and seek one another's best. May that value continue here. It's core to our DNA. We pray, O God, against the evil one. We surely are not strong enough to confront him, but you are. For he who is with us, you is greater than he who is in the world. Therefore, we pray you would strengthen us. Give us the victory. Lift up our spirits. Increase our numbers. Use us to bear fruit. Bless us, O oh God, that we might continue to be a blessing to one another, to those outside the church, and especially to you. This is your church. Be glorified through it until the time of your return. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for doing that. This, these are real things, right? You know what we just did? We did what no other gathered organization on earth can do we prayed that's the distinctive of the church isn't it there's no other assembly where that happens where we can bow before our heavenly father and look to him what happens when you do it relief happens that's what happens and somehow when we run to him we're reminded of his sovereignty and of his goodness and prayer is taking a deep breath Until the next time, when you're burdened and have to run to him again. Why doesn't he just lift our burdens once and for all? Well, because then we wouldn't run to him. That's why we're instructed to ask him for daily bread, because he won't give us more than our daily supply, will he? Just enough sustenance for today. Thus, we'll feel needy about running to him for tomorrow's supply of bread as well. Keep running to the bread of life for sustenance. Where in Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. We don't really know the circumstances. There's just like a ton of stuff we don't know about it, but we can sure do our best to know about the contents. Here are the contents. In some, it's this. It's a letter of better. And it's to point out that Jesus is better. Last week as we began our study in Hebrews, we saw that the writer, whoever he or she is, made this point in the first three verses, Jesus is better than the prophets. Why would he say that? Well, the Jewish people of the day not only respected the prophets, they began to worship them unduly, and it distracted them from worshiping Jesus. And so the writer made a strong case that Jesus is far better than the prophets. Their, their message was piecemeal and fragmentary and limited and preparatory, but he, he's the fullness of God's revelation to humankind. And So we read in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. Therefore, Jesus is better than the prophets. And today in the text today, here now is the writer's point. It's to persuade us that Jesus is not only better than the prophets, he's better than the angels. That's an interesting point to have to argue. Not really, when you think about it. Angels are really fantastic creatures. They can captivate your mind, your attention. You can become preoccupied with thoughts of angels. They're supernatural beings. They're not like us. They have capacities we do not have do they have wings we wonder about that do they play harps do i have a guardian angel and what do they look like it's it's quite fascinating and so in that day as in this day the fascination with angels kind of got out of control and people got distracted from the one whom the writer of hebrews thinks is a far better one even than angels and that's that's the lord jesus some in that day and in our day are trying to make contact with angels. Interesting. You can't do that. There's nowhere in the Bible that we're encouraged to do so. In fact, in verse 14 of the text before us, we'll get to it later maybe, angels are referred to as ministering spirits sent by God, meaning they're his agents to do what he wants them to do. They're not ours to call upon so that they do what we want them to do. So you don't want to be calling on angels, and yet there are books written. Here's one, Ask Your Angels. Here's another one, 100 Ways to Attract Angels. So you can see in that day, as in our day, people so fascinated with angels can take their eyes off Jesus, even Christians can, and become fixated with angels. Angels do not call attention to themselves. Did you know that? They know they're God's servants, and therefore... We should know that as well. You know what happens when people start calling upon angels? They will hear from them. Fallen angels, they will hear from demons. Does that sound dramatic? I got that from the same book that told me about Jesus. It talks about Satan and fallen angels and even says this about Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 14, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we should not call upon angels for healing or for prosperity or for guidance or for teaching. Scripture never mentions calling upon angels. We are to call upon the far better one, Jesus alone. But New Age thinking encourages us to forget about Jesus and call upon angels, try to contact them through things like channeling or um, um, visualization. And when we make contact with these angels, well, then we'll be made privy to wisdom and secrets and spiritual truths. So New Age thinking tells us to summon up angels in various ways, repetitive mantras and whatever else we're not allowed to do it don't do it the bible calls that spiritism and it outlaws it and god hates it spiritism so we're not to call upon angels nor are we to worship them i think if an angel walked into this room and made himself or whatever they are herself i don't know visible we would be tempted to bow down before that angel Right here in church. Bow down. Maybe even offer worship to that angel. Does that sound far-fetched? Well, it happened to one greater than most of us, the Apostle John. Look at this. Revelation chapter 22. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship. Look at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, you must not do that. The angel said to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets. And with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. So you can see it's an issue. It was addressed by the writer of Hebrews for the believers then and by application for believers now. So the angels are wonderful, but they are not to be worshiped, we are to worship the one who's better that's the Lord Jesus and so in seeking the voice of angels, believers were being distracted from the far better voice of Jesus the writer of Hebrews realizes this and thus says what he says now in verse 4, chapter 1 verse 4 having become as much better than the angels he's referring to Jesus much better than the angels and so why is he much better well he has inherited a more excellent name than they and what is his name verse 5 tells us for to which of the angels did he god the father for to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son that's a quotation from an Old Testament verse of Scripture. It's the first of seven, which you will see in this paragraph. The writer of Hebrews probably is writing to Hebrews. That's probably why it got the name Hebrews, and he therefore is speaking their language, the language of the Hebrew scriptures, the old testament. So he's invoking seven passages of scripture from the old testament. Here's the first it's from Psalm two verse seven, and it says Thou art my son this day I have begotten thee. Well, but, but father never said that of any of any angel. See the word begotten, that doesn't mean birthed in the sense in which we think of it, not at all. It meant it meant the it was a reference to a king coming into his exalted position. And Paul, I'll show you in just a second, attributes this event in the life of the Lord Jesus to the time of his resurrection. Look, I'll show you this. It's in Acts chapter thirteen, it says, and we announced to you the gospel. Of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fully fulfilled this promise to us, their children, in, look, raising up Jesus, reference to the resurrection. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, this day I have begotten thee. Paul quotes from the same verse that the writer of Hebrews is Paul is saying, The time at which the son was. was was begotten, made his sort of debut as king of kings, is when he showed his victory even over the last enemy death through his resurrection. Well, none of that is true of any angel, no matter how great. Not even guardian, not even archangels like Gabriel or Michael. No, no, no. Here's now a quotation from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And again, I'll be a father to him. He shall be a son to me. See, the father doesn't say that of any other angel, does he? And furthermore, verse, verse 6, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, the father refers to Christ as the firstborn. He doesn't refer to any angel that way. Now, you see the term firstborn? Misunderstood particularly by groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses, based on this verse... See, this is what gives me permission to um, criticize other groups because if they make a public statement, that means it's subject to public review. I have no personal animosity towards anyone who's a member of the Watchtower Society. I just want to comment on what they publicly declare based on passages like this uh, on the basis of which they say christ is not the eternal deity he is not god because this verse in particular says he's the firstborn god is not born if he's the firstborn that means he was born like you that means he's a creaturely being but surely not the creator that's why the jehovah's witnesses say jehovah is god jesus is a sort of a god He's surely not fully God. He's an emanation away from Jehovah. And so are you, by the way. You are little gods, according to Watchtower theology. Now you're a lesser God than Jesus, but Jesus is a lesser God than the Father. That's the thinking based on passages like this. But as a Hebrew myself, I can tell you they don't know what they're talking about. Because I'll tell you what the term firstborn registers in the mind of any Hebrew reader. It has nothing to do with birth and and biological sense, really. It has to do with esteemed position in a family. The firstborn, in Hebrew thinking, gets special privileges, sometimes a double inheritance even. That's the special heir, firstborn. And so in referring to Christ as firstborn, the father is saying, he has preeminence. This is not a reference to the physical birthing process. This means he has preeminence over everything in creation order. In fact, I will share with you three verses from Colossians 1, which to me smatter, uh, smashes, blows away to smithereens, The theology of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, with regard to Christ. It's called Christology. What did they think of Christ? This blows away their Christology. Listen, Colossians 1 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God. Whoa, whoa, we're already seeing. He's not like you or me. He's the firstborn, same word, of what? All creation. That means he has pre-existence before any other thing in creation order. Before matter was, he was. He's the firstborn before matter. That's not true of you. Before the world was, he are. He's the firstborn of creation. Who but God has the quality of pre-existence? You don't. I don't. We came into being at a certain time. Jesus already was. He's the firstborn of all creation. Furthermore, by him, all things were created. How could he be a mere created being, subject to creation, if he's the very agent of creation? Next time someone knocks at your door, share with them Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He is the agent of creation, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Look at this. All things have been created through him. Can you see? He cannot be a mere created being because he's the agent of creation. Not only is he the agent, he's the object of it. All things have been created not only through him, but for him. He's the very purpose for which the world exists. He is before all things. You know, scientists say you people of faith are non-scientific. Don't take that. By the way, in 2020, I've been given the privilege of bringing in guest speakers from time to time. Uh, I'm bringing in some good ones. Some are scientists. I want you to hear that our faith is not a blind leap from logic to faith and even brilliant men... I have a chance of bringing in one of the world's most renowned chemists in the world, expert on nanotechnology. You know what that is? Neither do I. I have no idea. I have no no idea. And he's a believer. And, uh, you know, for those who say it's either science or faith, he'll tell you, what are you talking about? If it's good science, it's consistent with the biblical narrative scientists say you people of faith by faith you believe god existed beforehand and created all things yeah but they're exercising faith too instead of the pre-existence of god as creator they believe in the preexistence of matter which they believe just came together spontaneously in the oceans somehow and the complexity of the universe somehow developed uh, when you talk to a scientist you say wait a second you got a lot more faith than i do it takes a lot of faith to believe that somehow spontaneously, without design, organisms came together, who knows where, in primordial, primordial oceans, and the whole telescopic world and microscopic world, the, the complexity of your human body just developed by chance. Well, that takes a lot more faith than to believe the design of the creation order posits the existence of a designer. Who is the designer? Jesus. See, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, um, our time is just about up, Um, so let me just quickly go through the rest of the text. You'll see the writer continues to make a case for the fact that Jesus is, is far better. And again, he is invoking Old Testament scripture, About seven times. And he leads us um, to the last verse in this passage, verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels are wonderful but are not to be worshipped. They're God's agents sent for the purpose of what? Ministering to people like you and me. Think about it. Our Father loves us so much on top of everything else he's given us, (laughs) he has at his disposal supernatural agents, angels, whose premier purpose next to worshiping him (laughs) is to minister to us. And one day, we'll stand before God, it will take eternity for all this to be unfolded. And we'll see, as he reveals to us, we'll see how he used his ministering spirits to protect us in ways we know not of from a, head-on collision or this or that who knows we think the universe is random oh no it's orchestrated by an all-sufficient sovereign God who doesn't even have to exert himself he can send angels as ministering spirits on behalf of those who will inherit salvation in closing let me tell you this as wonderful as angels are you can do without them but you can't do without Jesus You see, he's on the throne. They worship around the throne. There's a big, big difference. Angels did not, angels cannot bring you and I into personal union with Almighty God. That Jesus did. See, angels can't do that. In gaining Christ, we've gained the one who is better, the one who is far superior to angels. You can do without angels. You cannot do without Jesus. And here's something quite amazing. Jesus doesn't want to do without you or me. That's amazing. He does not want to do without us. He desires a personal relationship with us. So even though angels are intensely attractive, no angel can possibly love you and me as much as our loving, living Savior does. Therefore, may we each join with the angels in heaven in worshiping him, Jesus, who now forevermore and forevermore is far better than everything else. As I think about persecuted Christians whose lives are on their line for publicly identifying with Jesus, isn't it true that Jesus is even better than life? Because he's the author of eternal life. If we have Jesus, we really do have everything we need. We can do without, even through tears. We can do without everything else we cherish, but we cannot do without him, and we will not have to do without him. We're safe and secure, whatever may befall us. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. You know that song? He's more precious than silver and gold. I don't want to ruin your day by singing it, but we could pray. Let's pray. Yes, Lord Jesus. You're far better than anything, even than life itself. We believe it, therefore help us to live by it. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you folks. Hope to see you next time.